Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast, where with each episode, we hear from different women experts in the health IT industry. We like to hear about what makes them tick, how they overcome challenges, work they're proud of, advice they would give to other women in health IT, and much more. I'm Joy Rios. And I'm Robin Roberts. Listen as we talk with Dr. Haley Fisher-Wright, President and CEO of the Medical Group Management Association, or MGMA. Dr. Fisher-Wright is talking about her transition from physician leader to healthcare executive. She's an avid reader and shares with us her favorite books while giving us insight on her latest work, her own book, Back to Balance. We're glad you're here to listen about her unique journey and path in medicine and healthcare. Well, that's a long meandering path. It's been a, it's been almost 25 years, but I started in med school when I was 21. I was practicing pediatrician for 19 years, but had a very asynchronous career, started practicing medicine, then got into physician leadership, then became a hospital leader, then decided to go to business school because what I recognized probably about 15 years ago is that business was the lever arm to move healthcare. And so went to business school, became a management consultant (laughs) in many industries other than healthcare. So financial services, commercial real estate, oil and gas, academia, and a little in healthcare, but actually financial services was really my strength. And then also was at the same time practicing medicine, also at the same time was president of, at the time that I started, a 75 physician group, which ultimately grew to 900 doctors. Goodness. Um, so it's, it, that was my career until I decided that I needed to really understand. I'd always been in practice my entire career. Really needed to understand how hospitals and hospital systems work to understand the entire uh, ecosystem of healthcare, of patient care. And so left medical practice to become a chief medical officer in a large hospital system and did that for a little while, and then when my plate was full with understanding how hospitals and hospital systems work, uh, then I started as CEO and president of MGMA in 2015. Wow. So you've worn a lot of different hats, both clinical and on the business and financial side. Absolutely. What has been your favorite thing that you've done on this journey, even Uh, if it's not MGMA? Yeah. um, 
Well, I would have to say MGMA is probably the job that's best suited to me. I went into medical school to, be, to really because I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to make an impact. Um, and even in practicing pediatrics for 19 years full time, that whole time being on call every other night for 19 years, what I recognized is I could only have impact with one patient at a time. But in a leadership position, I would have the ability to make meaningful, positive impact in a bigger way. And so that's actually why I like my current position the best. We, we have a lot of influence, and I think we're doing the right things for practices at a time that very few people act as advocates for medical practice. So I'm sure most people know already, but for those who don't, what is MGMA and what is the purpose of the group altogether? So the Medical Group Management Association, it's one of the largest and oldest of the healthcare associations. Uh, We represent the business of the medical practice. So in the same way that the American Medical Association represents physicians, the American Hospital Association represents represents hospitals we represent medical groups which is depending on how you count it somewhere between 2,500 medical groups and 250,000 medical groups depending on how you look at the information so our organization touches almost half of the health care delivered in the United States so it we have a lot of influence for as actually financially small as we are relative to some of our peers because we represent the marketplace We see entrepreneurs from, you know, I have a great idea, would you do beers with me, because that's how entrepreneurs roll, to, you know, we're a large organization looking for new opportunities, you know, that kind of thing. But always it's when people say to me, I've created a new product, let me tell you about it. I, I, there's part of me that honestly says, I need you to solve a problem. Right. And we actually talked about doing incubators, but think about how we mentor um, entrepreneurs in the United States right now. It's backwards. Mm-hmm. We're basically saying develop a solution, and then we'll go find a, pro- a problem for it. And, and, be and we'll throw a lot of money at it, too. Yes. We'll throw a lot of money at oh, it. Oh, my goodness. Um, I, bl- I participate in a couple... Uh, I would say private financed events. They're not big enough to actually be considered private equity. But it's the ones that I put my own personal money to are, here is the problem. You know, this is how I came to it. It was because I encountered a problem. Mm -hmm. And then, so here's the solution I came up with. Great. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. Now this is worth, that I'm interested enough to kind of listen to your pitch as opposed to, and actually, we, when we have uh, entrepreneurs, we do shark tanks occasionally for MGMA. It's the people that come in with a problem they're solving that, that almost always win. When do those happen? We've done those with annual conference. Okay. Uh, our annual conference this year will be in October in New Orleans. Um, New Orleans. Yep. I don't know that we're doing a shark tank this year, but we have in the past. Do they tend to only revolve around a technology and something that, like, okay, here's a new software solution or here's an app? They're mostly digital tech, and I'll I'll tell you why. Because we're in the business space, we're not going to do devices or pharmaceuticals or those kind of things. So that's why, and and really, as as you're well aware, the, the the problem that we have... See, another entrepreneurial mm-hmm. opportunity. Mm-hmm. The problem is that 
healthcare IT to this point has really been engineered to drive the business outcomes. It's not been end user focused, not even for the business people. Um, and so people have a very negative relationship to it. Where I'm starting to see, so the problem is end users are not happy with the product they're using and oh, they're yeah. not engaged with it. Mm-hmm. And so you don't get by it. So how do you create a culture change of quality and satisfaction if you don't have buy-in with the tools to do it? I am starting to see kind of third and fourth generation products that are starting to address that in a meaningful way. And I do have have cautious optimism that really the promise of healthcare technology was to actually make the work of the human beings better and to actually really help our patients get better healthcare, which it's actually been the barrier, not the not the tool. I actually start to I'm starting to see some promise that we're heading in the right direction. You know that's funny you say that we sat down with a really brilliant woman in the machine learning AI space and she's laughing casually about AI and machine learning and I'm fascinated about it for the solution that yeah. it is. Um, but her whole point it really, the AI and machine learning was easy. It was the adoption and engagement yes. on the human side to make their lives easier and understand it and gain that. That was the problem she had to solve. And she knew that from the get-go. And she's been super successful in three other countries and just started in the U.S. And I yeah. just thought, you get it. You get that side of it. You're yeah. not trying to put a square peg in a round hole. And so hearing I, you say that just echoes that sentiment. It's absolutely true. And I would say even for MGMA, we just transferred our business management system went from association management system to a customer relations so basically we went from an excel spreadsheet to salesforce yeah. <laughs> right. okay. so you know we kind we're of, familiar yeah <laughs> i mean not literally but figuratively just to kind of put it in a term that people can understand and in doing so even though we're a sophisticated company even though we're culturally literate we installed the technology that was easy we're actually now suffering through the implementation uh-huh. and how to optimize it. And it's brutal. Even with good intent, it's been brutal. We never anticipated how challenging it would be and how married people were to the things they were doing. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. we didn't, this are, I mean, this is a great education for me because um, I've been at the forefront of culture change for 15 years, but not in my own organization. So put the new technology into place without creating processes to enhance adoption and to build that buy-in. Let me put this, we were still paying for it. Yeah. I believe it. So you recently wrote a publication, a book, yes. on the state of healthcare in yes. the United States. Yeah. I haven't read it, and we're going to ask you at the end about your favorite reads, but tell me, and I guess no spoiler alerts, but what do you feel like we're getting right in the United States with healthcare, and what do you feel like we could do better at? Where's the biggest area of opportunity? So I'm going to answer your question directly about what are the biggest areas of opportunity and not go into what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong, because I think there's a green field of opportunity available to us. And really the focus of my book, Back to Balance, was talking about the most influence that we can have is not waiting for government or large organizations to make decisions about healthcare, it's actually taking the control in our own hands at the front line of healthcare. So the thing that I think we can do a much better job is not just say, how do we make things incrementally better, not 3%, 5%, 7% better, but asking ourselves, what do we really want? 
And if we start with what we really want, then we can define what those outcomes look like, and then we can re reverse engineer into the processes that get us to that point, as opposed to saying, I want people, or I decrease my cost 3%, or I want, I want someone's um, lab work, your diabetes markers, to be 5% less. Really what you want is someone to be healthier. So what does that look like? And then how do you get there? Well, that kind of leads into our second question. Yes. And he's sort of already answered it to a degree. Mm -hmm. But basically, if you could snap your fingers <laughs> and solve any problem in healthcare or health IT, what would it be and why? Um, you have to put on your magical thinking cap. This well, could be super utopic. Yeah. Um, I actually have an answer for that. And that is, I think... We spend $3.7 trillion a year on a system that's focused on sick people, and we haven't really changed our systems who are focusing on healthy people. So if I could snap my fingers, what I would recommend, what I wish for, is that we have a healthcare system focused on keeping people healthy as opposed to taking care of them when they're sick. So an unrelenting focus on well care, preventative care. I would say it's not just preventative care. It's asking ourselves, you know, really harp on the question, what we need to ask the right questions. What do you want? And I'll give you a good example. My dad, that I talk about extensively through the book Back to Balance, sick, has, um, has type 2 diabetes, he's had a stroke, he has multiple sclerosis, he's getting, you know, candidly getting towards the end of his life. And so as he's in the healthcare system that wants to treat him, they treat him like a disease. So he sees the MS doctor, he sees his diabetes doctor, he sees his lung doctor, um, as opposed to taking a look at him as a human being and saying, hey, how do you, you know, you have finite time, we know this, how do you want to live your life? And that would make some real different choices if someone asked him that and really engaged him in that and took ownership of that. That, that would actually really change how he's taken care of and may I add from because he's on Medicare it would probably change how much it costs to take care of him as well I think that's a great answer and I think it's not just limited to kind of the silver tsunami of aging Americans if you will it could really be said for just about any patient dealing with chronic disease the ones that you know what choices will you will or won't make individually that's going to improve your quality of life and what you want to get out of it so I think that's a great answer. Well, and I don't think it's just people with chronic disease. I think it's healthy people like us. Because what I wanted when I was in my 20s and 30s was really I didn't want to see the doctor at all. Right? <laughs> so so yep. I was much more engaged on how not to do this. As I'm 50, I'm now thinking about I'm aging. What do I want, you know, how do I want to be healthy when I'm older? What does that look like? And so whereas the 20s when someone said you need to watch what you eat, you need to not drink as much coffee, you need to actually get outside, I was kind of like, ah, I'm in med school, I'm busy. Now that I'm 50, it's like, okay, I got to go weight train, I got to got to read, I got to keep my brain busy, I've got to really take care of myself because I'm in it for the long haul. So those priorities of what is health changes as we age and Coming from a perspective of all people need to do this has never been effective. Our healthcare system certainly reflects that. So, actually engaging people on what matters to them and get to their why, I think, is an incredibly powerful motivator on how to move patients. And and hand in hand with that, what we focus on is the costs associated with taking care of patients. Oh yeah, it's going to shape both the cost, but even patient experience, because yes. we would know what they value. Absolutely. 
Is there a quality measure for that? I mean, they do patient experience, and they ask the patient that, but there's no real question about, to your point, what, 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 do, they, what do you want? How well, do you want to live? What does health look like for you? Well, and interestingly, when you take a look at patient experience and you actually do a deep dive into it, what it really shows is how is the parking, how is the front office, you know, how are you feeling today? If you're having a crummy day, guess what? You're not exactly going to say, I got the best care ever. And so I think a lot of times we're not asking ourselves the right question, which is we, all, we know patient satisfaction in meaningful relationships is all based on trust and communication. Really we, what we want to ask is do you feel like you can tell your doctor anything and do you trust your physician to do what's in your best interest? It's not a patient experience question. Mm-mm. When you think about your wish and how we can make healthcare better, how do you feel like MGMA's role plays into that? I think, actually, I, I always view why I'm excited to work for MGMA. Uh, why I think it's just um, we have a powerful arm because we're kind of the stealth part of the healthcare system, being the front line of healthcare. So, from our perspective, it's green fields of opportunity because everyone's so fixated on what's happening at the top levels they're not deeply focused on how we can collaborate work together really set up what matters at the front line and i'm utterly convinced i believe in systems level thinking that if we move the bar on what occurs at the front line of care we will change what occurs on the top as well excellent So we are building a reading list for the Hit Like a Girl listeners, and other than Back to Balance, your new publication, (laughs) what are some of your favorite reads or listens if you're using Audible or blogs? Um, So so I'm a voracious reader. I read like three or four books a week. Wow. Um, That's impressive. I either listen to them or read them. Wait, wait, time out. That's super impressive. (laughs) Well, I, I think it's actually... The thing that I think we actually get into trouble with with healthcare is we tend to get locked into our own perspective and our own voice, and we tend to buy our own shtick, if you will. So the thing that reading has given me is a window into other people's perspective, um, and it's a way to learn and hear other people's voices that you may not be able to hear. Like I'm always talking to MGMA about you got to get outside the walls of the organization. So reading does that for me. So. Three to four books a week is yeah. super impressive. So what was the most recent week's reading? Um, well, so I read a combination of fiction and nonfiction. So Just Finished, which was a very deep and chewy book, the Dalai Lama, um, Bishop Tutu book, Book of Joy. Uh, I read um, Tasha, Tasha Yurik's uh, Insights. And we're using Tasha Yurik as a consultant within MGMA to drive for performance excellence. Um, I also uh, am read. I'm in the middle of the Crazy Rich Asian series, which oh, I okay. love. Um, once again, an insight into another culture, different perspective, plus lots of um, bright colors and fashion, which you gotta like. And then um, just finished, which took me a while to get through the Michelle Obama book. Yeah, we have several people that have said that one in particular. It's kind of a shared love across. Uh, I yeah. think a lot of the girls in uh, healthcare right now. Yeah, she's. I think she's a real role model, um, and not because she's the wife of a former president, but because she's a strong woman in her own standing. Absolutely. Have you heard President Obama introduce himself? I'm Michelle's husband. Well, it's kind of funny because uh, I do a lot. A lot of the healthcare associations are in Chicago, and. 
before when he was a senator, she was involved um, at the University of Chicago. She was uh, very active in that community. And so from that standpoint, uh, everyone that you speak to in the healthcare association world has a story how she touched them. That's right. So she used to work at a hospital, right? Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense of why like people in healthcare are tuning into it too because she does have that angle. And she bring does. It. Yeah. We can forget that. I always think of her as a lawyer first. Well, she is a lawyer first. She's a, yeah. But she also has healthcare uh, sensibility. So we were recently at a really big conference, and we're noting, seeing kind of visually this disproportionate balance of men and women. And on the finance side, do you experience the same thing? I think we experience that throughout healthcare. Um, I just finished a board meeting yesterday. It's disproportionate on our board as well. And... So if you think about it, in healthcare, 75% of the workers are women, mm-hmm. but only 10% of the executives are women. Yep. So there's a huge disparity. There's also, it's not just gender disparity, there's minority disparity. Um, so we have a tremendous amount of work to do to level that playing field. And it's something that we're actually very, my executive team at MGMA is actually more women than men today. Wow, that's yeah. tremendous. And um, we do put a, I'm thoughtful about it. I mean, I will always hire the right person, but my bias is to sponsor other executive women to other leadership positions. And so that's a priority, personal priority for me. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's great. So Dr. Fisher-Wright, if people want to find you, do you have any socials? Are you on LinkedIn? Oh, if they want yes. more about the organization, <laughs> tell us tell us all your links and all your handles. Sure. So you can find me. My Twitter handle is at Dr. Haley, and that's D-R-H-A-L-E-E. Uh, my LinkedIn profile is under Haley Fisher-Wright. Um, you can find... MGMA at www.mgma.com to name a few. Excellent. Well, thank you for telling us more about uh, the business lever in healthcare and taking a few minutes to talk with us today. My pleasure. Thank you both. And thank you for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. If you want to know more about us or this guest, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate the ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend. You can also connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle hitlikeagirlpod. Thanks again. See you soon.